So often during Easter time, you may notice this, we focus on certain resurrection stories. And usually it's where the risen Jesus is interacting with the disciples. And usually, well, I'm going to go ahead and say always, uh, these stories, he offers these deeper invitations to follow him. So discipleship continues. Teaching continues. Learning and growth, they continue even after, or better said, because of the resurrection. Last week, the road to Emmaus, that was a great example of that. Today's a little bit different uh, in the Eastertide cycle, however, and, and different in the way that it's special. Fourth Sunday of Eastertide is Good Shepherd Sunday. That's today. Um, hard to miss that when you hear Psalm 23. Hard to miss that when you hear John 10 on the same Sunday. God is the Good Shepherd. Now, we're really familiar with Psalm 23, John 10. But there's actually rich tradition throughout both Old and New Testament of this faithful shepherding of God's people. It's very consistent, it's a very abiding theme in the scriptures. In the Old Testament, we find it in Numbers, we find it in the Psalms, we find it in the prophets, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Micah, Jeremiah. In the New Testament, it's wrought throughout the Gospels, it's in epistles like 1 Peter, and it's in Revelation. So beginning to end, God is shepherd. Now culturally speaking, being a shepherd in Old Testament times was a pretty common job, and it was one without any particular uh, glory or acclaim, uh, but it was an important job, and it was a necessary job. But by the time of Jesus, the wealthy ruling class, and what I mean by that is the Pharisees and such, saw shepherding as something of a despised profession, not unlike being a tax collector. It was not a popular job. So these very sophisticated, cosmopolitan city dwellers viewed shepherds as these kind of rough and backwards country folk. They were prone to robbery and prone to be very violent. So they were regarded as not just peasants, but the lowest of the rural peasant class. They were disdained, which is a shame because the picture in the scriptures that we see and the one that Jesus will riff off of today, John 10, is the shepherd as a leader. Shepherd as a leader. So think of Israel's history here and her famous shepherds. Moses was one. David was one. Even certain prophets like Ezra were seen as shepherds. But the main shepherd in the Old Testament is God, God himself. So when Jesus calls himself the good shepherd, think he's gonna ruffle some feathers? Yes, he is. That's a pretty bold claim for those that are listening. I'm the Lord God, he's saying. And this Lord of ours takes the low road, as he always does, and he takes the humble path of a common laborer, not unlike being a carpenter, very incarnational. And that's part of the point, as we will see in John 10, 1 through 16. I'd encourage you to have your Bibles open for this. Uh, we're going to take a deep dive in shepherding, into Shepherding 101 today. There's a culture and a history here that's so rich that if we just pass over it, we will miss the meaning of what Jesus is trying to say. Now, centuries before Jesus was born, Moses asked the Lord for a shepherd. Israel, Lord, give Israel a shepherd. He's been the mediator the mediator between God and Israel up till this point. But he's on his way out and he knows Israel needs a shepherd. So he prays for a successor. Incidentally, it ends up being Joshua, whose Greek name means Jesus. How's that for a good wink? Listen to his prayer. This is Numbers 27, 16, 17. This is his prayer. May the Lord God, the God of the spirits of all humanity, appoint a man over this community to go out and come in before them one who will lead them out and bring them in, so that the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. Flag that in your mind and note that language of this going out and this coming in. 
this leading them and bringing them. This is going to be really key later. John 10, 1 through 16. Take this a chunk at a time. First six verses. Okay, so Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. They are supposed to be the shepherds over Israel. They are supposed to be her trusted leaders. That is their role. He begins with an analogy. Jesus loves to paint a picture, and he does here. So here's the paint picture that he paints that you have to have in your mind, really before you even go into this passage. This is a very earthy picture of a shepherd, no surprise, his flock, and a sheepfold in a small village. So it's a very ancient setting, and shepherding, I don't know about you, that's pretty foreign to me. I haven't done much shepherding uh, at all in my life. So there's a context and a history here I don't want us to lose. You may kind of go, why are we getting into this? Why does this matter? Trust me, it does. Context, context, context. So stay with me in this, okay? You can learn about shepherding and go, what's the deal? Well, it matters. So just track with me here. So we are with a shepherd, his flock, and a sheepfold in a small little rural village. Now, most families owned a few sheep, maybe a dozen, not uncommon, and they kept it in this small walled courtyard. That's the sheepfold Jesus is talking about. Several households would choose a shepherd to look after their sheep. Often it was a trusted son, maybe a couple of daughters uh, from one of the families. Often they were young adolescents, boys or girls, sometimes shepherds of that day and age. Might be a little different than what you think of, right? Think of young David. He was just a shepherd boy when he was anointed king. That's what he was out doing when Samuel came. He was the youngest. He was run to the litter, out shepherding. They didn't bother to bring him in. Shepherding. He was a shepherd, a young boy, when he killed Goliath. So, listen to this middle schoolers and high schoolers who happen to be here. God does mighty things through you. So early each morning, the sheep, obvious, just like if you own a dog, uh, they got to be let out and they need to eat. So they would go take the sheep out to graze in the open country. And here's the way it works. The shepherd would move from house to house by these various sheepfolds, these little courtyards. There was a gatekeeper there. If the gatekeeper knew who they were, they opened the door, called the sheep out, uh, and that's the way it worked. They called the sheep out. Now the sheep knew the shepherd's voice, okay? And they followed him or her out of the pen, through the village streets, and then eventually out into the pastures where they could eat and drink. The walls of those sheepfolds were about probably about as tall as I am, maybe a little bit taller, maybe six, seven feet. So if you're one of the thieves Jesus is talking about, um, you're going to have to climb over the walls to get a sheep if you want to procure one for yourself unlawfully. Even if you could force that gate open, the sheep wouldn't follow you. They'd run away in fear because they don't know your voice and they don't know who you are. So Jesus' point already is well taken. There are dangerous people. There are robbers and thieves. And sheep... Uh, us, excuse me, are vulnerable. We need protection. Thus, the gatekeepers and shepherds and that whole system, okay? Point being, a true shepherd is recognized by the gatekeeper and has access, a lawful access to the flock. So the sheep know their shepherds. There's trust there. My dog, who I got, I don't know, eight months ago, trusts me, okay? When I lead him somewhere, generally, he trusts me. He will follow me. Trust is built upon the shepherd's case, in this case, his credibility, his identity, okay? There's trust, we'll open the door for the shepherd. So here's the process, here's how it works. So the shepherd would lead them out of the sheepfold, really key language, lead out, come back, back to that in a second. He does not drive them out. He doesn't go in the sheepfold and kick them from behind and beat them with a stick. Uh, that's not how it works. Ancient Near Eastern shepherds are a bit different. 
than us Westerners. They didn't use sheepdogs. It would nip and bite at the sheep and hustle them out of there and drive them out. What they would do is they would lead them out by going ahead of them and calling them by name. Great evidence that shepherds did know their sheep by name. Sign of familiarity, yeah, for sure, but affection too. It's not unlike a parent and a young child. Sheep are very dependent on a shepherd, utterly, I would say, for food and shelter. So this is a picture, sheep and shepherd, of intimacy and kindness and trust. The sheep are known to him or her, uh, every single one, precious to him or her. And they even each had a name. Even with, you know, once they got them all together, they might have had 100 to 300 sheep once they gathered them all. It's a lot to remember, and yet they did. So often several flocks would be mixed together in, in one sheepfold, right? They weren't all from the same flock. Thus, that sh those sheep had to know the voice. They had to know who was calling them. Otherwise, it's just total confusion, right? So here's how it would work. The, no the shepherds are known, uh, the gate's open, there's several of them outside the gate, and they're each calling their sheep out. So they're all mixed together, and the sheep have to know that voice, and they would gather around the shepherd who's calling them. And this is how every morning began. Let's take the sheep out to graze. The gatekeepers know they trust the shepherd. They open the gate. The shepherd calls them out. The sheep who recognize their voice, part of that flock, follow him or her out to pasture. Right? But, as Jesus says, there's also thieves and robbers. So there's those who are not to be trusted. And they're going to pillage the flock. These are those who, so in essence, it's kind of like he's already establishing this. Okay, there are those who take good care of the sheep, right? There are those, and then those who do not, and they take care, they take something that is not theirs. This is the first five verses. Pretty clear, right? Makes sense to me. So how does Jesus' audience receive this? Pharisees. Here's what verse 6 says. Uh, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, they, Pharisees, did not understand what he was saying to them. Now, I have no doubt of that. Chosen blindness is self-serving. While the Pharisees might not understand the meaning of the story, they are familiar with these allusions in the Old Testament to shepherding. They know this, they know their scriptures. Jesus is alluding here, most likely, I'd bet my money on, on Ezekiel 34 to 37. He's not pulling from Psalm 23 as we might think. Here's what Ezekiel 34 through 37 essentially says he prophesies against the shepherds of Israel for acting selfishly they took the spoils of the flock they took the best of the flock they took the best wool but they did not and I'm going to quote Ezekiel here they did not strengthen the weak or heal the sick or bind up the injured they did not bring back the strays or search for the lost you meaning false shepherds you have ruled them harshly and brutally it's Ezekiel 34 4 so in Ezekiel, God makes no bones about it. Israel is my flock, my sheep. But the Pharisees have used the flock for their own personal gain. So Jesus brings a very pointed critique of their leadership and their failure to shepherd, to lead Israel. And I love it. There's such fierceness in him over us. Don't you dare fleece my sheep. Don't do it. It's a very sobering waiting reminding for me. Reminded for me is as a pastor, and I hope for any pastor. So he's insinuating that the Pharisees are the thieves and robbers. I mean, it doesn't take a genius to see that. They've taken things that do not belong to them, God's precious property, which is his flock. 
why don't we up the ante, shall we? Or rather, Jesus is going to up the ante, whether we're ready for it or not. Verses 7 to 10. And here comes the first salvo of these great seven I am statements in John. So powerful and you cannot miss them. And he always makes them emphatic with his truly, truly, uh, verily, verily, or I tell you the truth. I'm the door for the sheep. Meaning, I'm the way out to the open country. I'm the way out to the pastures where you find food and water, which you need to survive. I'm the threshold into life. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They'll go in, they'll come out, they'll find pasture. That's that in and out language. Remember Moses' prayer from Numbers 27 I told you to be mindful of? There it is. Jesus is fulfilling that, leading them out, letting them in, their comings and goings. There he is. He's fulfilling that prayer. So Jesus is the door. He's the means of life, provision, and protection. I'm the door, and I came that you have, might have life to the full. How about you? That sounds like a lot more than just subsistence to me. Life to the full? Sounds like even more than meeting our basic needs. Jesus says, I'm the doorway into life. I'm the threshold into eternal life, in fact. And he'll reiterate that later when he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the doorway into all of that, only through me. Let me give you a picture. So sometimes in the summer months, the shepherds would stay overnight with a sheep uh, out in the wilderness. As you can imagine, you gotta think through protection if you've got a whole flock out there, because you've got wild animals and robbers and all this stuff. So what they would do is they'd make a, a makeshift enclosure. They'd make a little makeshift sheepfold, and they'd use either thorn bushes or stones or something. Sometimes a suitable cave, sometimes they use that. And the sheep were safe inside it so long as the entrance was secured by the shepherd. There was no door, okay? There's no door. So what would happen is he or she would sleep across the door. There's actually, obviously not pictures of that day and age, but you can find that stuff on the internet. Uh, even ancient Near Eastern shepherds still doing this. So there's one way in, one way out. And it's open. So the shepherd was the door. <laughs> he was it or she was it. So if you want access to the sheep, you gotta go through him or her. So not only was the shepherd again, this door in and out to life, to food, to provision, but they kept the thieves and the robbers and the wild animals uh, out, okay? Eight through 10, here's Jesus again talking to us. All who came before me, thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Always have false prophets, always have imposter shepherds. I'm the door, he says it again. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will go in and out, find pasture. Again, there's that picture. The thief only comes to kill, steal, kill, and destroy. Boy, do we know that phrase. Again, thieves and robbers, the shepherds of Israel, the Pharisees and such, those who took advantage of God's flock and prayed off God's people, steal, kill, destroy. Those are not neutral terms. I don't have to tell you that. And it's a timeless warning for us. There will always be false shepherds. There will always be imposters who will lead the people of God astray. And I'd say they come from within the church and they come from without the church, outside of it. So it can be spiritual leaders, it can be political leaders, it can be cultural leaders. There are those who come to steal, kill, and destroy. So be forewarned. And I love this little mention in verse eight. Don't listen to them, in essence it says. It says they won't listen to them. That is uh, a bit of a guiding principle I'll talk about in just a minute. Don't listen to them. Don't listen to their voice. Do not follow them. 
Now, there's hope. And I hope you know that because I haven't even gotten to verse 11, which says, I am the good shepherd. Second, I am salvo. I'm the good shepherd who lays down my life for the sheep. Pay dirt. Now, you got to know, Jesus just blew the roof off this whole shepherd-sheep analogy thing. A shepherd who dies for the flock? Uh, we're not in Kansas anymore, Dorothy. Not at all. I'm not like those thieves and robbers. We're using contrast here. You know what else? I'm not, also not like a hired hand. Meaning, a mercenary shepherd. His devotion only is going to go so far. I mean, let's be honest. When push comes to shove, they're going to save their own skin. If you're, a, if you're facing down a bear, what do you think? You're going to face down that bear to save those sheep? You're going to say, dude, I'm out of here. Every single time. They will leave the flock defenseless. But Jesus will do anything and everything to keep his flock safe to the point of laying down his life for them. Folks, this is unheard of. If you're an original, uh, in the original audience here, you're going, what? A shepherd who dies for his flock? Makes no sense. So let me paint a really full picture of what a good shepherd looks like, and what G who Jesus is. Good shepherd, part warrior, talk about that in a second, part field medic, nursemaid, part wilderness guide, part provider. Kind of like mom and dad all wrapped up into one. They had to know where to find food and water. They had to know the terrain. They had to know the lay of the land. They had to know how to make and find shelter. They had to do that. They had to know how to tend and care for uh, lame and sick sheep. They had to know how to keep the flock together and have skills. And guess what? Yes, they had to know how to defend the flock from attacks, human and animal. So good shepherds, the ones worth their salt, had to be tough. They had to be tough. They had to know how to handle themselves, okay? So I don't know about you, but the pictures, and I'm talking about art here, that I grew up with of the Good Shepherd, they could not be further from the truth. Here's the pictures that I remember of the Good Shepherd. It's a beautiful, very European Jesus with well-coiffed, long, flowing, beautiful hair, right? Clean, white clothing, with that sweet little lamb on his shoulders. My joke is it's peace-loving hippie Jesus. That's what it reminds me of. Folks, this is not a shepherd who will get his hands dirty. This is not a shepherd who has any dirt under his fingernails. This is not a shepherd who, who can defend the flock against wolves, lions, bears, and armed robbers. Shepherding was tough, scrappy, dangerous work. So when Psalm 23 speaks of the good shepherd in this way, your rod or thy rod and thy staff, they are a comfort to me. Those are the two tools of the trade. So you needed a staff, and this was generally, that's the one you think of, which typically you'll find in our, uh, when it depicts Jesus as good shepherd. It's that long, tall stick, and you walked with it, you guided the flock with it, maybe a little tap, tap on the butt here and there, control the direction of the flock, that's a staff. But there's also the rod. Psalm 23. That's actually a weapon. It's like a big cudgel. It's like a big stick that's thick on one end. So, not that you can't, but you have to look pretty darn hard in a Google image search to find a picture of Jesus the Good Shepherd with a staff and the rod. Usually it's just the staff, which does us a disservice because our Good Shepherd is armed, skillful, and formidable. He can kill wolves. He can kill bears. He can defend the flock from robbers and thieves. Okay? 
That's the rod. But he's also wise, trustworthy, knows how to guide us. That's the staff. That's Jesus, right? He's fierce over us. Towards the end here, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. He says it again. I'm the good shepherd. I know my flock. They know me. Reiterating this again. He's already made this point. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Again, saying this again, which means it's awful important. Jesus is not only willing to risk a measure of danger for the flock, which a good shepherd would do, okay? He's willing to lay his life down, willing to die. And again, this is, this would be shocking to his audience. And he's using the language of sacrifice here. The real good shepherd will die so the sheep can live. He'll lay it down. No wonder Hebrews 13, 20 describes Jesus as that great shepherd of the sheep. And he ends with this. And it's about love. No surprise. Because this isn't just about affection for an animal. We're talking about a lot more than that. The ways in which Jesus knows and loves the Father is the same way in which he knows and loves us. Same way. So could you find, think about this, put on your, your cat, your thinking cat, could you find a more intimate way of describing how our Savior feels about you and I, right? To compare it to his deep and knowing and eternal love that he has for the Father and the Father has for him. His love for us comes from the same place. That's why he's the good shepherd. This is a love that cannot be severed, cannot be broken. It's good news. And it will never go away over us like a banner of love all the time. So reassuring. I love that this falls into the Easter tides sequence every single year. And here are these assurance, assurances from Jesus in the final verses. So he essentially says, I'm gonna gather my entire flock, and by that I believe he means Gentiles, I believe he means Jewish outliers and all points in between, and they'll, they'll listen to my voice. They'll listen to me. And there will be one flock and there will be one shepherd. That's a mission uh, bigger than what most Jews uh, could imagine. It's a mission that we are swept up in right now, a story in which we participate. And only Jesus can pull this off. Only he can unify that flock. And only he can bring us together under one shepherd. Let me give you some closing. I'm going to call these field notes. Closing field notes. First thing, uh, there's a great line from Over the Rhine. Band, and they say love is never far from danger love is never far from danger so the people of God the flock face danger this scripture shows us that we're vulnerable we're vulnerable like it or not we are and we're even more vulnerable when we go solo right we're easy prey so one single sheep over here will get picked off awful easy prone to wander Lord I feel it prone to leave the God I love right so stick close to the shepherd, right? Stick close to him. We're safer in his flock than not. Uh, isolation, lone ranger Christianity, uh, that is just setting yourself up for a fall. It's not a picture we see in scripture. So we need to stay tight with Jesus. We need to meet at the foot of his cross and we don't really have to worry about finding folks because the faithful will be there too. So we find out that there's a host of others, there's a flock. So love is never far from danger. It is dangerous. So essentially, we need to stick with Jesus and stick together, okay? That's field note number one. And these are elementary, but I feel like they're worth reminding us all of. Field note number two, listen for his voice. 
Folks, there are a lot of voices that are vying for our attention all the time. Um, and while our culture is very different than Jesus's, we have a cacophony of voices that are bombarding us with social media, with the internet, all that stuff. But I think the core issue is still the same. We have to listen for his voice. There's other voices that want your attention and they want your allegiance. Absolutely. They want you to follow them. And Jesus is saying, listen to me. Attune your voice to me, which means you must learn to discern between his voice and all those other voices. And to learn to discern between his voice and your own internal junk, too. That's a whole other sermon, right? Jesus presumes, notice this, he presumes that we can recognize his voice. He presumes that we can. Doesn't mean we don't have to do some sifting, but he presumes that we can. Even though we're bombarded with other voices and calls to action, there's no lack of forceful opinions in our day and age. Good grief. But the only one that matters is Jesus' voice. Trust the voice of our good shepherd. Right? So that's field note number two. Listen for his voice and know that they're competing voices. Third piece, and this builds on a third field note. Follow his voice. This means we take action. Because I can hear his voice and just go, uh-huh, uh-huh, and not do anything about it, really. But if you look at the Old Testament notion of hearing and listening, there's this implied sense of obedience with it, too. That if you do hear the Lord's voice, if you listen to it, you'll follow him. So hearing his voice implies following his voice. The key question for me is, are we willing to be led? We're willing to be led. So if we claim Jesus is our good shepherd, we're also accepting the truth that we're the flock of sheep, which means oftentimes we're not too bright. Oftentimes we're prone to biting our shepherds and being skittish and being easily scared. So do we trust the Lord enough to follow him? To not just hear his voice and go, yeah, that's great data, Lord, cool, but to actually follow where he's leading, which takes faith. So there's an active element, right? It's not passive. And we can trust him. He knows where he's going, right? He knows the terrain. He's a good shepherd. So that was field note number three. Follow his voice, which means taking some action. I don't know what that is for you, but I believe the Holy Spirit will, will uh, tell you, lead you in that. So the wonderful thing that I love of this whole picture is that how we are so intimately known and so intimately loved by Jesus, the good shepherd. And his heart is to lead us into vast places, open pastures. He calls us by name into those places. So when the brokenness of the world, no lack of that, the ravages of sin, the sting of death, veil of tears, all that stuff, when it just waylays us, we need resurrection images like this. We need the good shepherd. We need to be reminded of that. Jesus says, I came to give life and life to the full. That is resurrection life. And that is one of the things we're stubbornly celebrating and clinging to and we're counting on. And we're trying to follow his voice and trust him and all the more in these coming days. So here's the prayer that I want to close with. I want to read to you Psalm 23 again. And I encourage you to live in this a little bit this next week. Come back to this. Contemplate it. Think more about Jesus as Good Shepherd. So here's our prayer. The Lord's my shepherd shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake.
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they are a comfort to me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.